We're going to get uh, into uh, the sermon here, and so if you would turn it uh, to Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, as you do that, um, I'm sure uh, we are all familiar with the concept of going through a midlife crisis, right? We know what that's all about. I hear some groans already about that. Well, listen, when someone, when someone goes or experiences that, a midlife crisis, it's really a it's a crisis of identity, isn't it? And it's often brought on by, you know, a combination of things, really. It's, you know, the reality of, of aging setting in, and you kind of realize, oh man, my, my most youthful days, my youthful vitality, that's, my best days are behind me. You sense that kind of, you know, slipping away and, you know, kind of a growing, you know, realization of, their impending mortality and, and all of that. I know it gets kind of dark and you kind of feel that way. And again, along with kind of that sense comes this, you know, this gnawing sense sometimes of, of just failure, right? And, and, and that's what, you know, men and women both feel, like, like they haven't accomplished enough uh, in this life. And it might be, you know, in regards to, you know, work and, and career and, and making money and building a legacy. It could be about, you know, your, your family or just the amount of time you have spent, you know, just enjoying life and recreation and all of those things. And, and all of that can just, you know, bring this crushing kind of tidal wave of, of anxiety about that and, and even depression and and so when a person is struck by this and they're rattled to the core about it, it compels them. I, I, you know, in desperation, I've got I've to fix this, right? I've, I've got I've to rebuild my, my faltering, shaky identity or, or even go and try and find a, a new one. And, you know, they try and do that through all kinds of things. I mean, we know through, you know, convertibles and toupees and personal trainers and, you know, even you know, younger sexual partners. Now, hey, when I, th- I think when, whenever, you know, you or I might go through some kind of an identity crisis, you know, no matter how that tends to manifest itself in your life or, or, or at what age, I mean, personally, I can, I can probably point to, you know, two times in my life that I've gone through an identity crisis. In my, in my teens was the first one, and then uh, in my 20s, uh, as well, and now I'm kind of nearing the end of my 30s, and I'm hoping that those crises are kind of done and behind me, heading in, ending in, heading into that midlife kind of stage, or depending on how you define it, I'm I'm in it, and so I'm kind of hoping though that you know as my identity in Christ solidifies and I get stronger, and my my joy and hope and identity is all in Him, I'm hoping that I don't go too far into that. But um, you know, if I you know, start to rock the hair plugs or, you know, go heavy on the spray tan or something like that in the, near, in the coming days, feel free to, uh, to approach me on that and to talk to me about that. Be gentle. I might be sensitive. I don't know. Listen, when, when we're in those, again, in those moments, I think what we're really looking for and, and, and what, we're, what we're longing for and those points of crisis fundamentally is hope. That's what we want. That's, that's the thing that we sense slipping away as, as the crisis, you know, happens and it takes place. And, you know, as much as, you know, I'm even kind of, you know, poking fun at, at, some, of, at some of how that plays out in our lives. I think, you know, if you've ever gone through that, you know that it is like straight up terrifying, right? To go through that, you're questioning all kinds of things. And I think it's because you and I, I mean, we, we crave 
something real, right? We crave something, something strong, you know, and, and life-giving in our lives that can actually handle the weight of our deepest hopes, right? That's what we want, our, our, our strongest and most foundational yearnings and desires. We want that to be, you know, linked to, attached to something real. In fact, it's, it's how we're hardwired by our God. Well, I think one of the most extraordinary things about being or, or becoming a Christian is that Jesus himself is our hope. Right? That's what he is. And not only is he our hope, but, but from himself, he gives us hope. Meaning that in Christ, we, we grow, we learn to become extremely hopeful people. Right? That's, that's us, rock solid in that. Because we, we've learned or we're learning to, to place our deepest hopes in he who is unshakable. Instead of, you know, in ourselves or in earthly and temporary things that can and inevitably will crumble and fall and let us down. Right? That we are hopeful is a substantial aspect of our identity that God has built right into it and, and he gives it to us. It's ours, it's mine, it's yours through a saving relationship with Jesus. And so we want to read our verse here today. It's not a long one, Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 12, verse 12 rather. And so I'm going to read it. You can listen or follow along. It says this, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Lord, what a joy it is for us to come before you here today, recognizing and realizing and being reminded that our one true hope is found in you. And Lord, that because of the gospel, hopeful is actually our identity now. It's who we are. Lord, I pray that as we, you know, struggle and and trip all over ourselves to, to, to understand this and, and live in line with this truth, Lord. Would you help us here today? Lord, I pray for, for those especially who are, who, are, who are coming in here today and feeling as, uh, you know, particularly hopeless. And their, their lives, their, their, their mentality, whatever it might be, might be just it's anxious. It's fearful. It's full of doubts and full of worry and concern. Lord, I pray that we would see that in Jesus, we are hopeful. Lord, would you teach us these things? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that you make these things clear to us. Lord, I thank, that, thank you that you are willing to work with us and, and grow us and pour out more grace. Lord, that's exactly what we need. Lord, we also just want to thank you for Mother's Day and for the blessing that moms are, Lord, in our lives, and we don't give them enough. Lord, every day should really be Mother's Day, probably. And Lord, we do thank you for just, a, you know, even a brief opportunity to, to, to thank them and, and to show them some love. And, and so, Lord, we pray that the moms here would feel that. And, and God, we also want to realize and recognize that Mother's Day is not at all an enjoyable thing for some. Lord, for some, it might be the the first year that we've experienced this day without our mom. 
So Lord, I pray that you would bind up the brokenhearted in this. Lord, I pray that for those who have strained relationships with their mothers, Lord, I pray for those who desire to be mothers themselves and it's just not happening, God, I pray that you would draw near to them especially as well. Lord, I pray that again, as this is so practical, Lord, I pray that all of us, our hope would be in you most of all. So Lord, be near us here today. Speak to us, Lord. Challenge us. Change us. Make us more like Jesus. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, in Christ, uh, I am hopeful. That's really the outline right there. Pretty simple and pretty straight uh, to the point. And like I said, we're going to be focusing on uh, verse 12 today. But as I read that, you probably noticed that it's kind of, you know, we're picking it up partway through a sentence here. And so to understand the context of this verse properly. Let's take a quick peek here, if you will, with me at uh, verse 11. Now, verse 11 is actually something we studied a few weeks back uh, in a previous uh, sermon, but let's look at it again. It says this, in him, that's Jesus, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Now, what is that inheritance? What is that? Well, that's, that's our salvation, right? It's, it's eternal, eternal life. That's the inheritance that we have, have obtained, we've been given. It says, having been predestined, right? You remember that word, chosen by God according to the purpose of him, right? Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, verse 12, so that, all right, so we've obtained this this inheritance, verse 11 told us, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, there's our phrase, might be to the praise of his glory. Now, couple of things to notice here. When Paul says there that they are the the first to hope in Christ, what is he he kind of getting at there? Well, he's speaking uh, specifically of Jewish Christians. All through uh, this passage that we've been studying over the the last number of weeks, through verses 3 to 12 specifically, uh, Paul's been referring to you know, all believers, to, to all of us, you know, whether it be Jewish Christians or, or Gentile Christians. And he's been teaching all of us what our true identity is uh, in Jesus Christ, what that identity entails. And so what he's doing here in this specific verse, in verse 12, when uh, by referencing the Jewish Christians as the first to hope in Christ, what he's doing simply is just really highlighting the, the chronological order of of who the gospel was proclaimed to. Now, you might be familiar with Romans uh, 1, verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, this is Paul, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, right? The gospel is out to everyone. But then here's what it says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. And that's essentially what what, what Paul is getting at here in Ephesians chapter 1. Jesus came to share the good news of the uh, the gospel with God's covenant people, Israel, uh, first. Then from there, get the the message of the gospel out to the the rest of the nations. Of course, we know that, you know, just looking at the the gospels and the the story of Jesus, we know that that many of the Jews rejected Jesus as the Messiah and and they wanted nothing to do with him and they were responsible for for crucifying 
uh, him. And, and so we saw, you know, and then we see in Acts chapter 2, a very concentrated effort by the disciples to, you know, take the, the message of the gospel uh, out to the, the Gentiles or the non-Jewish peoples. In verse 13 here in Ephesians chapter 1, which we're going to get at next week, Paul references those very Gentile Christians directly. He says, you also, okay? So he's talking about Jews here, and then next week, you also. And all together, it's, it's all of us. Now, as, as good and as, and as right and as proper as it is for, for you and I to understand, you know, th- these, these contextual details and make sure we, under, we know what's kind of going on in the passage here, the reality of, of verse 12 and, and this whole passage really is that all Christians, whether, whether Jewish or Gentile, are those who specifically hope in Christ, right? That, that, is, that is what we do, meaning, meaning that we, we place all of our, our faith in him, okay? Faith is kind of used, you know, or you could use that synonymously with, with hope here, right? As Christians, we no longer hope or have faith in our, in our own ability to save ourselves, Right? That's, that's what happened for you in the moment that you gave your life to Jesus and you got saved. You may think about your testimony and you go back to that, that moment in your life when you were you know, seven years old or maybe you were 17 or you're 27 or 37 or whatever the age was. There was a moment for you there where you recognized that, that Jesus is Lord, that he went to the cross for you. He, was a, he died as a substitute in your place because you needed it. Right? You were broken, you were sinful, you were, you were warped and, and corrupt spiritually. And you're like, I, I'm not going to trust in myself anymore for this. I'm not going to hope in myself. I can't fix this problem that exists between me and God. And so I'm, I'm going to transfer my hope to him. Right? That's what I'm doing. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, okay, saved, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, right? That right there, that's what our hope is tied to. It's the person of, of Jesus. Our hope is in him and the fact that he rose from the grave. Okay, but we also understand this, that our hope doesn't end there in that one moment that you give your life to Jesus. It's not like, well, you know, I, I had hope in him that, that one moment that I prayed with my parents as a 10-year-old, and then after that, I'm kind of done with hope, and I'm just kind of moving on and doing whatever I want. No, hope is a, it's an ongoing thing, going forward daily for, for Christians. You know, we, we continue to, to anchor our, our, our hope to Jesus. A meaning that we do not look to idols or countless other sham identities to inform us who we are and for you know, hope for fulfillment in life. Right? We don't look to those things. For Christians, I've said this before, but for Christians, all our eggs are in the Jesus is my only hope basket. Right? That, that's, that's it. Because our hope is in him, it translates into us being deeply hopeful or hope-filled people. We're strong and we're secure in our Savior because of our Savior. I love Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says this, May the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so a continual and ongoing belief, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope, right? You may experience even more. Now, you might be kind of thinking here, hold on a second, okay? Time out for, for, for just a minute. I, you know, I, I, I think I get that. I, I think I can see where you're going with that. But you know what? Honestly, that, that doesn't really feel like my reality. I, I mean, I, I'm confident that I, I'm a Christian. I, I understand the gospel and I've, you know, I've put my faith, I've put my hope in him. But, but honestly, I'm not so sure that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really doing all that great, Pastor, at this whole you know, continuing to find all my hope in him and, and in him alone thing. In fact, I can, if I'm just being honest here, I can probably point to several other things that my soul longs to find hope in besides Christ. Well, hey, if that sounds like you and if you would agree with that, I mean, I think that's really a sentiment that all of us here can relate to. Because the truth is, you know, how many of us here are, you know, doing any of that perfectly? Right? I know you don't love to put your hands up, so that was an easy one for me to ask. Like, no one, right? No one's doing that. No one's doing that perfectly, right? We're struggling in finding all of our hope in Jesus and not in other things. None of us can, can honestly say that we, you know, never, never feel the temptation to look for hope in, you know, worldly delights or, you know, feel the tantalizing pull to, towards those things. And all of that being said, though, uh, don't be discouraged. I don't think there's any, you know, real need to be discouraged. I mean, here, because the truth is that's just part of what it means to live in a fallen and, and, and in a broken world. We're going to be tempted by that kind of stuff. That's just, that's just the way it is. And all it really means is that you and I, we have some, uh, some maturing to do. So, so, some growth needed. Listen, that's going to be the, the true for us uh, and, until the Lord returns, until he takes us home and glorifies, uh, gives us our glorified bodies. Right? If strong and secure and hopeful Christians this is what we're striving to be by grace, because our hope is, is deeply rooted in Jesus Christ, and I guess you and I, we better figure out how to do that, right? How to get there. How do, how do I learn, you know, kind of bit by bit, step by step to, to kind of root my hope in Jesus and, and, and see my idols kind of crumble and fall down and, and, and kind of see myself and, and experience myself filling up with hope and joy and all of these things. Like, what's the game plan here? How do I do this? Let's get practical here for a second. And you can write these down if you want. Here's a game plan for rooting my hope in Jesus. We've got five Five things, okay? Here's the first one. If you want to root your plant your, or uh, root your hope in Jesus, you got to first of all recognize the idols that my hope is tied to. Right? You, you got to see what those are. I love Colossians 3 verse 5. It says, put to death, okay? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then it lists a bunch. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. So, so Paul tells us, he tells the, you know, the church of Colossae here, put to death these things. Well, before you and I can, can put these things to death, I guess we better know what our idols are, right? That need killing. We, we need to know this. We need to recognize this. And so I think we really need to learn how to ask ourselves some 
heart-penetrating questions here so that we can start to unearth what these idols are and then take out the hacksaw to the root of them. Okay, I think a really good question to ask is, you know, what do I really love, desire, and hope for in life? What do I really want? What do I really desire? What do I really hope for? I'm not talking about, you know, what are the churchy Christian answers that, that, you know, the right answers that make us look good in small group. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, no, like, honestly, you know, what's, what's at, the, at the bedrock of your heart? What do you actually hope for in your life? We gotta think about these things. What do I want? What gets you out of bed? What, what motivates you? Those are the things that your hope is tied to. Another great question to go even a little bit deeper in this is, what am I insecure about? You ever asked yourself that question before? What am I insecure about? What, what kind of rattles my cage? And then as you kind of you know, experience insecure moments throughout your day or throughout your week to ask yourself even, even deeper questions, like what, you know, what is my greatest desire in this moment of insecurity? Right? Like what is it that I want when I'm so disgusted with my appearance? What is, what's the hope at the foundation of all of that? Right? What, what is, you see how those are some, some, some kind of heavy, deeper questions? Listen, we need to be willing to, to be a little uncomfortable, allow the discomfort there to, to, to happen. I think so many of us, we just, we're kind of lazy Christians when it comes to our sanctification. And we're like, Lord, would you just fix all my problems and I'll just kind of keep living life. And hopefully you just kind of improve me along the way. Right? We, don't, we don't want it. God gave you a brain to think. God gave you people to pray with and have people pray for you, right? God gave you the scriptures to illuminate what's really going on in your heart, right? We need to recognize what our idols are. Do you know what yours are? Could you list five of them? There might be even more. So we need to recognize that's part of the plan. I think you gotta start there. Here's another part of the game plan for rooting my hope in Jesus. You gotta see what your idols are and then I think you need to really humble yourself before God. And once you start to realize where you're broken and your insecurities and what your hope is, is really tied to in all of that, you gotta deal with the sin that's there. James chapter four says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Right? We want God's grace, don't we? Right? We, we ask for that all the time. We talk about it all the time. We want God's grace. Well, then we better, we better humble ourselves because that's the person that he can't wait to give grace to. But if we continue to be pr- proud and, and, and allow sin to, to, to rule the roost of our hearts, so to speak, then we're forfeiting even the grace that God wants to, to show to us. If you keep going in that passage, it says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Get low. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then this, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. That's heavy. Right? Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And this is where we're repenting of the sin that's there. We gotta clear that out. We gotta deal with it honestly. Stare in the face and allow the Lord to, to get in there and, and heal you and, and change you. 
So yeah, about again, we kind of referenced this last week, but not just repenting of the actions, but repenting of, of the heart motivations and desires behind those actions. Repenting of the ways that your heart looks for hope in all the wrong places. We've got to humble ourselves before the Lord. Here's a, another part of the game plan. Third thing, believe what's true and hold the line. Believe what's true. Hey, Philippians 4, verse 8, I love this. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, okay? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, I love this. Think about these things, right? You, you've got to actually believe what is true. You've got to see what's true. You've got to see what the standard is and then actively think about those things. You've got to hold the line on that. I think we've all seen, you know, movies with, with battle scenes and you've seen the armies, you know, running across the battlefield. They're running towards each other and then there's, there's this collision and you see guys with shields and they're, they're, hold, they're, they're pressing up against the enemy and they're trying to hold that line. They're trying not to let the enemy get beyond that. That's what we have to do with the truth. We have to believe what's true. Think about the various truths and, and, and the various scriptures and verses that help you hold the line against the, the lies that the, the enemy is going to try and get at you with, right? The, uh, against the, the idols that your heart wants to run to and, and, and wants to believe will bring you hope. The truth that Christ is your true hope is what leads you to being a person who is full of hope. And so a lot of practical ways that you can do this. One thing, I've heard of lots of people doing this, they like write down verses on sticky notes and stick them all over the house. Right? So then they're constantly reminded of what is true. All kinds of things that you can do to hold that line. Here's the fourth one. Get the upper hand on my spiritual disciplines. Right? This is important. 1 Timothy 4 verse 7 Paul says to Timothy, he says, rather train, or other translations say discipline, rather train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for it. I think for far too many of us here, our spiritual disciplines continue to be a major area of weakness for us. And, and if we're honest, again, we're just, we're just flat out not doing enough to make that a strength. We're, we're, we're not. You may be thinking, well, what are, what are spiritual disciplines and, and what do you mean by that? Well, I think the two key ones that, that we often talk about and think about a lot are you know, scripture intake, where we're studying God's word and, and opening up our Bibles on a daily basis and reading it and getting in front of God that way. I think another spiritual discipline that goes hand in hand with that is prayer. But these are things that we have, to, we have to work at and we have to sharpen and, and we're not naturally all that great at it. And so it takes discipline to grow and get better at all of these things. Other spiritual disciplines that maybe you've tried or might want to look into trying and working on are things like fasting and confession and worship, fellowship with others, rest. We're not that great at that one in this culture. But celebration, service, and generosity. These are just a, a few here. But again, so many of us, I mean, you're, you're hearing me say this before, and we and or you're hearing me say this now, and you're like, yeah, 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 spiritual disciplines. Yeah, I know, those, those need to get better, right? And then we have like zero plan to do anything about actually making it better, right? Zero. 
And we're like, yeah, no, I, I, I know. Like, that's, that's the key. Like, if I don't read my Bible, I'm dead meat. And so we don't read our Bible. And then the very next week at church or at small group or when we're talking to somebody or whatever, it's, yeah, I'm really struggling with all of this. We're, when were you in the Word? I, I, I wasn't. You know that's a huge key, right? Oh, yeah. What's the plan? Mm. Like, like we do this, like, are you not like going crazy? I'm going crazy because I struggle with this too, right? And it's, it's amazing how something so simple in so many ways is such a challenge for us. And listen, I'm not trying to, you know, kick us when we're down or anything like that. I'm just saying we need to come up with a plan. We need to, we need to think through these things and, and commit by grace in the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, Lord, I need to wrestle this down. I need to get better at this. Lord, would you help me humble yourself? Again, go back to step two if needed and ask the Lord to help you in this. We need spiritual disciplines. You get into God's word. You pray. You have other believers around you. All of that. Guess what? Your hope is going to start to root in Jesus Christ. You get away from those spiritual disciplines, your hope won't be there, not in Christ. It'll be in other things. It'll chase after that. Spiritual disciplines are a weapon. And it's just one of those things that we need to work at constantly. Here's the last thing, a game plan for rooting my hope in Jesus. Rally trusted allies for support. Right? We need to do this. We need people around us. We need the church. Proverbs 27, verse 6. I love this. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. You ever had a friend say a hard thing to you? You ever had a friend like confront you on something? Hey, listen, I've, I've really noticed this is an area that's, that's, that's harming you and maybe even harming others. Right? That's, that's really uncomfortable to, to experience that. But have you ever had gone through that and realized, man, that was good that I had that, right? We need people. You know, so many of us, Use the excuse in church, in community like this, where I'm, you know, I'm an introvert. So, you know, sorry, that whole like joining a small group or, you know, or, or, or building relationships here, that's, that's for extroverts. There's no Bible verse to back that up, right? There's not. I am more of an introvert than you might realize. So I have to, I have to like put effort into this sometimes. I love just going into the darkness of my basement. That's where I live. That's where I'm warm. That's my, that's my safe place. Right? So I need, to, I need to make the effort to go and build relationships and be with people because I know that that's ultimately what I need. My flesh maybe not, doesn't always want that, but I know that I need it. I need, I need the prayer support, right? I, I need the encouragement. I, I need the instruction from time to time. As I'm starting, my thinking is off. My actions are off. There are even times where I need a rebuke. We all do. It's one of the biggest reasons God gave us the church. And there's so many of us here and we're all kind of different from each other and you know, different ages and different walks of life and different experiences and lots of differences. Listen, that's an awesome thing to be celebrated because we need the sharpening that comes from different perspectives and the support of all of those things, all right? Now listen, some of you here You'll probably see that, you know, those five things, you know, as a pretty solid game plan, right? You could probably add a couple more of your own to that or whatever. And you see that, you know, if, if I were to follow those things, you know, genuinely, you know, I could begin to anchor my hope to Jesus and not into idols. And that hope that is mine in Christ is, 
going to grow and I'm going to see fruit bear from all of that. And maybe even some of you here, you're starting to, as, as you read those things and you're thinking through those things, you're listening to this, you're starting to even prayerfully, you know, start to come up with a game plan this week. And, you know, how can I commit or recommit to implementing, you know, one or two or all of these things this week and getting back, kind of back at it, back into the, the saddle. Others of us here probably aren't, right? If we, again, if we're just being honest and being real, and, and I think for a bunch of us, it's not that we, you know, disagree with that game plan, so to speak, or any point of it, but Maybe it's that you just don't really feel the, the motivation today or, or for you in your life, as you kind of take stock of where you're at, you, you, don't, you don't really sense the urgency to follow the Lord in this way and to, and to have your hope anchored to him or, 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 or to be really painfully obvious, uh, honest is, is maybe you're, you'd admit that you're, you're still just, you know, I'm kind of happy and content to just continue to play with my idols and continue to worship them. Well, listen, if that's, you, and you're not, again, actively, by grace, not in your own strength, but if you're, if you're not actively learning to hope in Jesus, do not be surprised, not if, but when you suffer a crisis of hope at some point. It's inevitable. If your hope is not in Jesus, it's in something else. And whatever that thing is, whether it's your money, whether that's in a relationship, whether that's in the toys that you possess, none of those things were given to you by God to hold the weight of your hope. Do you understand that? They're not strong enough. They're, they're, they're frail and they're fragile. And so a crisis, you're headed for that. And so listen, and, and, and I know I'm, I'm pressing us here a little bit hard today, but, but we all need to take, to take stock of the fact here that the choices that you and I make in life will either have benefits or consequences, right? We need, we need to look at it like that. We will either bear good fruit or we will bear bad fruit, okay? So, so let's, let's frame it up this way, okay? And we're gonna have this chart for you on the screen and if you're afraid of getting carpal tunnel syndrome from writing, again, you can just take a picture at it at the end. But here it is consequences of hoping in idols versus the benefits of hoping in Christ. And let's compare these two things a little bit. We'll go through the consequences uh, first. Okay, you want to hope in idols? Here's a consequence. Internal instability. Inside, you will be constantly stewing. You will never be at rest. You will lack peace. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, that's not how I feel right now. Okay, okay, I get that. Over time, though, you will, right? Over time. I remember, you know, in, in my youth ministry days, all right, and, and talking to students and working with students, uh, one of the reasons, one of the biggest reasons I even got into youth ministry in the first place is because I wanted students to not make all the same dumb mistakes I made, right? And like 99% of the youth leaders that I was you know, rallied to that ministry was the same thing for them. And so we would talk to them about this and, and, you know, don't make these mistakes and trust in Jesus. And of course they were, you know, starting to, you know, 
dabble in things of the world and all of that. And, and what would inevitably happen is they would start to have some fun playing with sin and, and, and playing with that fire. And they would, they would kind of realize, you know what? It doesn't seem so bad. I don't know what's like all the doom and gloom that you know, pastor guy's talking about. This is actually more kind of fun. And that's because I think a lot of the internal instability that, that we deal with happens over time. Right? How many of us made dumb decisions in our earlier days, in our earlier years, and it was later on that we re- realized, uh-oh, I've got myself into trouble here, and there are problems. You continue to hope in idols, you're going to see a growing presence of, of insecurities, growing presence of anxiety and, and fear and even depression sense of despair, maybe even addictions, the things that you played with that seemed so fun and and just brought pleasure, you become enslaved to them and you realize over time, I can't actually stop. I can't control this. I'm enslaved to it. And I love this phrase. I can't remember who said it, but sin or idols, sin always over-promises and under-delivers. Sin always over-promises hope, Your idols are are screaming, hey, come find hope in me. I will give it to you. And guess what? They never do. Internal instability, huge one. Do we not see our world just clawing, trying to claw their way out of this? It's a consequence of hoping in idols. Here's another one. Lack of love for God. You want to continue to hope in idols uh, don't be surprised when you have no passion for the Lord. Right now, lack of love for God is, or love for God, I should say, is, is really seen through obedience. Right? So if, if well, let me just refer to this, John 14, verse 15. It says, if you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. Right? So if we love the Lord, we will obey. So if you're lacking a desire to obey, and you don't really want any part of that, and you're not really living your life to obey Christ, it means that you don't, you don't love him. It's less about like a lovey-dovey feeling and, and, and more about a decision and follow-through. That's so when we hope in idols, we eventually become spiritually numb. We sense kind of a dryness and a, and a deadness welling up in us because again, we haven't learned or we're not active in learning how to hope in Christ. There's another consequence of hoping in idols. Lack of love for others. It's where we don't witness. We don't evangelize because we don't truly love people. We use all kinds of excuses like, well, I'm not as gifted at evangelism as that person or I don't, you know, I'm not a PhD in apologetics. I don't know how to answer every single question. And we use all those excuses. But the reality is, bottom line, we don't love them enough. We don't. We love our own comfort. We don't want to feel uncomfortable for their sake. So we don't witness. We don't pursue relationships that might even be here with us. We don't encourage people. We're not willing to to say the hard thing and help people and stop going down the road that's going to only harm them and harm other people. It's because our hope is in, in idols. We stop loving people. Stop loving God. We stop loving others. Here's another consequence of hoping in idols, distracted life purpose. 
right? Or a distracted purpose in life. Okay, think about it this way. We only have so much time in a day, right? We all have 24 hours, okay? So when we look for hope in idols and we chase after those things, okay, that takes time, right? And that takes energy. And if, and if we're doing that, the purpose that God has called us to inevitably takes a hit, right? We, we, we spend our time doing one thing or, or the other, really, and so if we're looking for hope in things like a wardrobe and things like, you know, making as much money as possible, if we're looking for, you know, hope and having the best, you know, most lavish vacations or whatever, we're going to have less time to do what God has actually called us to do here. We become less effective in ministry. That's a big deal. That's a consequence. Here's a fifth one. We enjoy good things less. We enjoy good things less. What are idols? Well, idols, I heard one person put it, idols are good things that have become God things. Right? Idols are not just sinful things that we shouldn't run to, but they're actually good things that we've elevated into a position of God. And now I, I over-love it. I over-pursue it. Does that make sense? Right? Right? Even... Even good things that God has, has, has given us and put on earth for us to enjoy can become bitter tasting to us. Right? Things like family. God, God gave us family. God created the idea of family. Right? It's, it's a really good thing, but can, can family become an idol? Totally. Totally it can. And so the, 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 the more we go after that and try to find our hope in, in, in having the, you know, the kind of family that we envision to have, the less we actually enjoy the family that God has given us because it doesn't satisfy our most deepest hope. Here's the last consequence that I put down here anyways of hoping in idols. It's really just an overall self-centered life. It's a self-centered life. We just grow that much more narcissistic. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about my pleasure. It's all about my schedule. It's all, right? It's, it's selfishness. Listen, the more we're about ourselves, the less confidence we're going to have even in our salvation. If you're so focused on, on you and, and your life optically and, and really at the foundation is not about Jesus at all, we, we should start to really wonder, like, do I really get this whole being a Christian thing? It's, it's a good thing to think about that at times because a Christian life is a changed life. Listen, these are very real, very serious consequences that come as a result of hoping in idols. Negative outcomes that you, know, you and I, we've got to take stock of and consider deeply and, and make you know, conscious decision. Am I going to go in that direction? Is this what I want my life to be about? Or, or, or will I hope in Jesus? Will I, will I learn how to do that? Where, where again, where lasting fruit is found. Look at a few of those now and look at the other side of that chart. Here are some of the benefits of, of hoping in Christ. First of all, not internal instability, but internal stability, right? Is this one not worth the price of admission alone, right? How many of us feel a lack of peace and we're churning constantly? Some of us have learned to, to just be kind of somewhat comfortable in that. And we're so used to it. We don't realize that if we were to hope in Christ and as he brings us peace, that, so much of that could be eradicated, as we hope in Jesus, 
that internal stability that we all want begins to come. It takes time. Be patient. Trust the Lord in this. He's got lots of things he wants to teach you in it. But John 14, verse 27 says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Man, so much. I, just, I, I want to be more secure in my emotions and in my, in my fears. I, I, I desire that peace that surpasses all understanding. I desire to have real joy, not fleeting, temporal, circumstantial happiness only. I want joy that transcends all of that. That comes when we have our hope in Christ. There's another benefit. We're actually motivated to love God well. Think about this. If you're enamored by the Lord and, and, and your hope is in him and you think about that and you're, you're thanking him and praising him for the hope that is yours through the cross and through the empty tomb, think about it. You're going to be motivated to love him now. You're going to be motivated to follow him, to, to obey him. Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You're going to do this genuinely. Your, your motives will start to purify in, in, in loving God. The, the legalism that, that you might be caught in, that starts to kind of crumble and fall apart. And No longer is there a lack of love for God, but you're actually motivated to love him and love him well. Here's the third one. We don't lack love for others. As we hope in Christ, we're actually motivated to love others well. I want to love them. The rest of Matthew 22 says this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And when my hope is in Christ, I want to see other people hope in him too. Right? This is awesome. I see how the Lord's transforming me. It's not just about me, that's for sure. It's about you. It's about us together. Let's, let's do this. And, and, and when we're hoping in Christ, we'll put forth the necessary effort required to disciple them, to work through the difficulties of all of that, discipling them to that end. It's another benefit of hoping in Christ, a focused life purpose, not a distracted one. Matthew 28, 19 puts it real simply, go therefore and make disciples, right? That's the mission of the church. That's the mission of, you, of your life. Go and make disciples. Okay, hoping in Christ, when we're consumed by that, it leads to getting less sidetracked by idols and all those other false identities that we spend so much time and energy and whatnot uh, pouring into. When I hope in Christ, I'll prioritize what's most important. It will affect my schedule. It'll affect my bank account. It'll affect my time. It'll affect all of that. Here's the... Fifth one, benefit of hoping in Christ is this. We enjoy good things as God intended. As God intended. Now, of course, I want us to be careful here. You know, I'm not advocating at all for, you know, for some kind of ridiculous prosperity gospel. You know, God put us on earth to make money and to be comfortable and to live your best life now, garbage. Like, it's not about that, okay? Don't need emails about that. Yeah, but as we learn to to hope in Christ and that tight grip of ultimate hope and things like you know, our marriage even. Again, good things, right? Recreation, money. As the tight grip on those things loosens, 
we should be freed up to actually enjoy those types of things properly. Right? As God gave them to us as good gifts. The book of Ecclesiastes talks a lot about that. We should be able to enjoy those in a way that actually glorifies God. Right? Life is not just about, let me remind us here, it's not just about misery and difficulty. Do we know that? It's not just about that. It's also good to think through how you and I can enjoy the things that God has given us in, cre- in this creation in a, in a biblical, God-glorifying way. I mean, that's really important for us as believers. Which really leads us to this final benefit of hoping in Christ. It's that we live a God-glorifying life. Not a self-centered life. A God-glorifying one. 1 Corinthians 10 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Even in these first five benefits, it could be easy to kind of warp this and spin this and look at these from kind of a self-centered angle. I mean, look at what I get from hoping in Christ. Right? Like it's, it's, it's all about me kind of sense. Like it, it could be easy to do that. But when our, our hope is in Christ and we become more hopeful people as a result, God gets glory for that, right? which is awesome. We delight in that. It was John Piper who famously said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Let's not forget that this is what our verse here this morning really drives us towards. Ephesians 1.12, take a look at it again. It says, so that we who were the, the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Again, we don't just, just hope in, in Jesus because of the personal benefits that you and I get out of it. Though there are many and they are good. We hope in him because, you know, in so doing, we are able to glorify God truly by being enthralled with him more and more. That's what it should, that's what it should lead our hearts and our minds to, just being in, been, being in awe of him, where we, we make much of him in our hearts and our minds with our, with our words, with our actions, where we, we exalt him and we praise his name, where we give credit to him for for his, for his character and his nature and who he is and how great he is, for things like his, his holiness and his purity, his, his amazing power, his, his goodness towards you and I, his kindness towards you and I. I mean, the list goes on. Right? And as we do this, it will all be, the verse says, to the praise of his glory. How awesome is that? 